Welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. Peter chapter 3. I'm not sure um, what your relationship has been with this book that we've been reading of 1 Peter. My hope is uh, that it's uh, that you're reading it through more than one time each week. That would be my hope. And there's a reason for that is uh, that we start to notice these patterns that the author Put in there's there's styles that these guys have and there's reasons for those styles um, and so uh, as we talked about last week and Steve preached about before um, you know we're going into the stretch run where Peter said finally and he's kind of giving us his last uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, commands and thoughts and different things that need to change for these guys. But here's one of the most important things as we read this. All right, I'm going to go ahead and read this in chapter one. And it started out um, and he says that you rejoice in this, this, this testing of your faith, these sufferings. You may, uh, uh, I'm sorry, you rejoice in this though. Now for a short time, you've had to struggle in various trials So that the genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes, though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You love him, though you haven't seen him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an inexpressible and glorious joy because you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And This is one of those things we have to read the entire book through this lens because everything outside of this becomes just a a work, kind of a labor and, you know, a duty that we do. But when we look at this in light of what Peter wrote says, man, we love him. We love him and though we don't see him, we believe and rejoice with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And so that's absolutely so important to what we do every minute of every day is we love Jesus. Right? That there, that, that there has to be this personal side. And remember who's writing this. Peter, Peter walked with Jesus. And again, why do I bring that up? Is because sometimes, especially when we're, we're taking our time going through this book, it can become almost a little bit impersonal. It can become like, well, can we pick up on this and we hear a lesson and we forget this main idea, which begins with our love for Jesus. That when we read about Jesus, when we read about discipleship in Jesus, when we read from the writings of his own apostles and they're describing this life that we live, do we have this kind of personal understanding of how amazing our king is and how wonderful our king is. 
And if you stop and just take a deep breath right now and think through of the goodness that God has brought through Jesus into our lives, right? Again, it's very easy to think of all of the things that may be going wrong or hard or difficult or frustrating. But this idea of taking a second to think through and go, man, I, I love Jesus. I love everything about Jesus. As Ben was talking about, he has this higher call for us. And the higher call is not going to be something we're going to really strive for if we don't not only trust Jesus, but love Jesus. To know that what he's telling us isn't a command that's lifeless. He's telling us things because he loves us. He's telling us these things because... Because as children, he's trying to show us that, man, this is where life is, right? And so it's so important because I, oftentimes I think even in the greater kind of Christian world, like outside these walls, I think there are all these debates about the term obedience and commands and we view the Bible and people will say, well, it's just like a list of, of do's and don'ts and all these things. And to me, that's a matter of not really personalizing Jesus, it's when we've lost connection with Jesus, when we've lost connection with our shepherd, when we've lost connection, and then we see this in a very different way. So you're at 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to start reading in verse 18. I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. Um, so uh, let's go ahead and just uh, start there. Verse 18 of chapter 3. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring you to God after being put to death in the fleshly realm but made alive in the spiritual realm in that state he also went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while an ark was being prepared in it, uh, a few, that is, eight people, were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now that he has gone into heaven, he is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. All right, so... How many people think this is a little bit weird? It's okay. You may not have even heard me. You might have just tuned it out. You're like, I don't listen when we read the Bible. Okay? Because something really strange, and I don't think I'm the only one that reads this and goes, this sounds like, why? Why, Peter? Why did you put this in here this way? It's like it plopped in and he said, you know, Christ suffered. And then when he went in the spiritual realm in verse 19, he went and made the proclamation to the spirits in prison who in the past were disobedient when God waited patiently in the days of Noah. This shouldn't be normal for any of us, okay? I'm just saying, like, we're sitting here like going, oh yeah, no, no big deal, man. I mean, you know, the days of Noah. So here's what's crazy, okay? Is the people hearing this, this was not that weird to them, okay? Um, it's, even after I explain this, it's going to be weird to us, okay? Here's why. Um, there is a lot of, um, there's a lot of writings, okay? I, 
I'm not sure if, if maybe the dots haven't been connected yet, but the, but but the, these letters weren't the only thing people were writing in the late like first, second, third century BC into the first and second century AD. It wasn't just these letters that Christians and Jews were writing. There was a lot of things being written. It's no different than us today. We write things, right? You go, when, when there used to be bookstores, right? You could go to like Lifeway Bookstore and it's like, oh, it's like all of these books on theology and Christian living and, you know, or you go to a bookstore and there was a section, there's a lot of people writing things, okay? And it was the same back then. And there was actually a fair amount of writing uh, that even the apostles were reading, the, the Christians were reading and, and wrapping their mind around. And actually, 1 Peter and 2 Peter and Jude, actually, to understand it, we would have to read this book called 1 Enoch. Right? Have you ever heard of that? Yeah? You ever read it? Yeah, maybe some parts of it. It's a pretty bulky book, and it, it's kind of crazy. But he actually talks about the spirits who were disobedient, what they were doing, and the sons of God. And you know how, remember in Genesis 6, the sons of God married the daughters of men, you know, and all these things. And so this author of Enoch tells this story, like explains it, about how they were, that because of this, these relationships they had with women, is that they were punished, they were disobedient, they were put in prison, and it's it's this whole spiritual realm kind of writing, okay? So, again, for us, we're like, I don't get that. I don't understand that, all right? But to them, they most likely would have been pretty familiar with this writing. What's really fascinating is if you read, and when we go into 2 Peter, we're going to see an even greater kind of like draw from Enoch, but in Jude, in the book right before Revelation, Jude himself actually calls Enoch a prophet. All right? And quotes directly from the book of Enoch, okay? So why do I say that? Do I say that to confuse us? Do I say that to scare us? Do I say that to, you know, give, you know wonder if the Bible is true and all these things? No, it's that we have to understand that these early Christians were influenced by other writings as well. As they attempted to make sense of things, all right? And so, as Peter writes this, our job isn't to necessarily go and go, well, what actually happened here? He's actually telling a greater truth from this. And they would have understood it, but we can understand the truth here, all right? So when he said this, and he paints this picture of, of going down into uh, priests of the spirit in prison who were disobedient, as God waited patiently, and he says this, this idea of Noah and this flood, have you ever thought that, that he was telling us this story for us to understand what baptism was going to mean today? Right? That, that isn't a new thing. Baptism wasn't just thought up at Pentecost. It's not this new idea, but he's also telling us that this, that this point of what it is to be washed and to be saved. And he said, well, if you understand this story about Noah and the ark and how eight people were saved in this thing. And he says, now, today, that story, that story teaches us what baptism is today. These eight people that were saved, now today, we're saved in baptism. 
And, and I understand that that can be a really tough and difficult teaching. That can be something to where in our world today, it's like, well, but, but the church I grew up in doesn't teach that baptism saves you. Well, but the church I grew up in doesn't believe in, you know, they say baptism is just a symbol. Nothing happens or or you don't really there's nothing about baptism that's special. It's it's that, you know, you you get baptized after you become a Christian. There's all of these different. And, and what we do and what we're required to do to follow Jesus is to conform ourselves to his word. Right. And so our job isn't to like disparage other groups. Our job isn't to, you know, attempt to show that we found like some answer that nobody else has found. We're just conforming ourselves to what our early brothers and sisters knew and what they were called to. And it's difficult. Here's the hard part about the world we live in today is we're not being arrested. We're not being killed. We're not being, you know, beat up and all these things for being Christians. But we are slowly but surely being told, don't tell the truth. Yes. Because there's something worse than you. There's something worse than murder. There's something worse than hatred. There's something worse is that you would look like you were judging somebody. That's the boldness that we're called to to understand is that that we're not facing death, but we're facing something that in our day seems almost scarier, which is to speak up truthfully in the face of kind of a crazy Christian world, okay? And again, to do it like we read last week, uh, with gentleness and respect. Right. That's what's so important, right? Is that we do that with gentleness and respect. And we've talked about this often, but if you are drowning, if you were if you were losing your life, we wouldn't argue about the way somebody saved us. Okay? Wouldn't go, man, I wish you would have thrown me a different kind of life jacket. I wish you would have done something different. We're like, dude, I just need this. And and that may be where we have to be able to communicate this truth clearly is that in our world around us is there's a lost, deeply lost world. And the and the road is definitely narrow. Right? And and, and so again, the, the goal isn't that we just go out into the world and are prideful and arrogant and like we have some special answer. But again, to call people to this, to who? To this Jesus who we love with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And that's what we have right here, which is really, really cool because he said, it's not that that dirt, it's not like you're going under the water and the dirt is coming off of you on the outside. He's like through the resurrection of Jesus, you're cleansed on the inside. And he said, it's this idea of a pledge of a good conscience towards God. And that's a tricky one right there. Okay, that's tricky because you're going, well, what does he mean? Am I pledging that as we read this in many regards, what's the saying is, it's like you're fulfilling, like you're you're living out a good conscience. Like, you know, hey, this is what I'm being called to and I'll do that. Okay, and so it's this idea of not the removal of filth, but the pledge of a good conscience. Is it our power? No, it's through the resurrection of Jesus. 
See, that's what's critical right there, okay? It isn't because of your goodness. So you may be studying this out. You may be studying, like, what is this baptism all about? Why is this little group of people, why are they, like, committed to this idea, you know? And there's every argument in the world that comes out. Like, but hold on a minute. There's way more people that say baptism doesn't save you. So that must be right then. Like, isn't that our logic oftentimes? Is if there's more people doing it, then it must be right, okay? But here's what I would say. Let's call ourselves the consistency because if that's the truth, then we should probably, like there's way more people who are uh, who are Catholic and uh, Mormon and all, I mean, there's huge groups, you know? And we would say, well, no, it's not just how many people do it, it's what's the truth here, right? And so we can't gauge it on like, well, if there's a whole lot of people that do something, it must be true. We don't gauge it on what size any group does anything. But going back to the Word of God, going, oh, well, it says this, whether it's two people in a room or 2,000 people in a room. Okay? And so this is what's really fantastic. Because remember, again, going all the way back to chapter 1, he says we have this hope in this inheritance that will never perish or fade or spoil. It's this like amazing goodness of why we can live this way. All right? And he's saying, here's the deal. You were saved like this. You were saved, and now it says he's gone into heaven. He's at God's right hand with angels and authorities and powers subject to him. And those things all have allusions to first Enoch that we, again, we're not going to necessarily go back and study all that, but it's good to know that this wasn't something mystical to them. This was something that they didn't understand, but we can also find that truth. Now, we jump into verse, to chapter 4 here, though, because I think it's important we go into this, is, therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, equip yourselves also with the same resolve, because the one who suffered in the flesh is finished with sin. So I'd like for us to take a second here. This verse should sound really familiar to us as we've been reading 1 Peter. Can you recall any places? So when he says, since Christ suffered in the flesh, equip yourselves with the same resolve. Do you remember hearing that prior to this? you remember any portion of this, okay? Because again, go back to chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for all. Go back to um, chapter 2, verse 21. You were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. So what do we learn from that? What do, what do we get to take away from this? Now that Peter, and in many regards, he's going to keep piling on the same ideas that he's been talking about. So when we hear this, since Christ suffered, equip yourselves with the same resolve. What do we get to take from that? It is probably fairly important. This is one of these kind of literary aspects of this letter. It's like, let me keep saying this thing over and over again. So it's ingested into our hearts. Why would I do Since Christ suffered in the flesh, since he did this, equip yourself with the same resolve. This seems to be a theme with Paul as well when he writes. Right? Turn over to, hold your spot right there and look at Philippians chapter 2. 
So Philippians chapter 2, in verse 5, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. And he goes on about how uh, he existed in the form of God, but didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself. By assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men, when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Right. And so we start seeing this in this thing. This should be something that is churning inside of us since Christ suffered and he left an example for us. Right. Earlier in 1 Peter, he says that uh, as he goes through this, because this happened, arm yourself with the same resolve. Okay, now let's pick this up because the one who suffered in the flesh has finished with sin in order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. So let's like really try to simplify this and really break this down, okay? He's been saying, Christ has left us an example of how to live. There's going to be suffering in lives of all Christians. There's going to be suffering and it's not going to be fair. And in fact, when you follow Jesus, there's going to be a, a lot of times of injustice and mistreatment and slander. And he said, but Jesus taught us how to interact that way, how to not like talk back, how to not, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, retaliate, right? Is he taught us, we get to see this example. Why? Because he was resolved that what is going on in this world isn't what's most important. What's happening here, the suffering isn't what's real. What's real is the kingdom of God. What's real is this inheritance that's coming. What's real is that Jesus is absolutely amazing. These are all things that are real, and we get to see Jesus live these things out for us to be an example. Okay, now all of this is just simply information unless we're able to really allow this to saturate and sink into our hearts. So Ben brought up a good point. If you think about your week this week, like consider a day this week. Consider a day this week and was there guidance from the example of Christ in your life? All right? There, there isn't any part of our life that's too small for this. There, there isn't any part of our life that's too superficial for this. This is truly going, am I being guided by the example that Christ set? Am I being guided by that? Right? Is that thought coming into my mind? Am I hearing this verse right here? Christ, you suffered in the flesh. You set an example for me. You got you sh you showed me ahead of time things that are probably always going to be way worse than I'll experience. But I want to follow your example. I want to be resolved, Jesus, the way you were resolved to make it through this world. I want to be resolved not to retaliate because you didn't retaliate. Right? This is what like uh, like living in the presence of Jesus must look like for us. 
is this constant, like truly understanding being in the presence of Jesus. Like truly understanding that idea of this constant communication of God. Okay, you set me an example. Teach me, guide me, lead me. How would you do this right now? And I know you're going to speak to me through your Holy Spirit and through brothers and sisters and through all of these things, but being attentive and mindful. And he's saying that this is the resolve to live life. Was there a time this week when you just were frustrated and angry? Was there a time this week when you just felt like, you know what, people are dumb? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right? We laugh because that happens. We're like, why are people dumb? Okay? And go, hold up a minute. Those are classic times to go, hold on a minute. Okay, Jesus, how did you, how did you do this life? Yeah. Because I'm living like in a really comfortable place. And I go to bed at night in a comfortable bed. And I've got a family, I've got all these things. You were walking around dealing with all of us knuckleheads. And I don't get the impression from Scripture that you were ever just like, dude, you are so dumb. Okay, I get it that he made these little statements like, oh, how much, you know. But his normal thing wasn't to consider us as just, dude, why do I even come for you? Why do I like you? Okay, that there's a difference. But he set us this example and he says this. There's already been enough time spent in doing what the pagans choose to do, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and lawless idolatry. And in fact, they're surprised that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of wild living and they slander you and says they'll give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. So again, we're, we're piling on a number of themes. This theme of Jesus is absolutely incredible and worthy of every amount of praise and every amount of gratitude and all of these things, okay? And then understanding that he set this example and then going, okay, he set this example. We've been saved and washed and given an inheritance, but we're still living in this world where we're tempted by how the world behaves. And so he's continually coming back and going, listen, if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to understand there's a worldly way of living life. And then there's a kingdom way of living life. And so this entire letter hopefully begins to take on a different view, okay? It's not just a letter. He's actually giving us all of this, like, incredible experience and admonition and all these things for this reason that we would just understand, man, he's describing what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. Like in the kingdom of God, when it comes to men and women and wives and modesty and slaves and all these things, he's just teaching us what is life like. And it's very different than the way the world lives. And we all hopefully we all remember we've lived in the world this way, this other way. Where it's just unrestrained lust and just trying to find our own desires and whatever we want that makes us feel good. And he's saying there can't be that. We have to be aware of how the world is living. Right? And to these particular people, at this particular time, Peter felt like, and he's actually said it a couple of times, that he needed to address these issues, okay, of um, 
This idea of unrestrained behavior and evil desires and drunkenness and orgies and carousing, okay? He felt like these are the things that the exiles needed to hear because it was so prevalent around them. That may not be the case for us today, but we have to be real about the way the world lives today. We have to be honest about what we're faced with. We've got to just be real about these things of what is the world telling us to do? I don't think the world has stopped like like pestering Christians to live in a different way, okay? But here's the deal. When it comes to um, lust and sexual morality and and just just sexuality in general, again, it's so easy for us to just kind of like our worldview can kind of blend in with with the world and where the church doesn't look a whole lot different. Right? Where the, and he says here, man, there's been enough of this. When we leave here and we go on vacation, we go to different places, I don't know how everybody chooses to live. Right? Is it, is it a license, you know, hey, we're going somewhere and then I'm just going to go and get drunk. I'm going to party with the world and I'm just going to, I'm going to live in this certain way. I don't know if that happens here, but I do know that that can be a temptation. I don't know what your background has been as far as like maybe you love to party and maybe you love to just go crazy and wild and you had a, and when you're away from the church that's how you behave. Okay. There's been enough of that. There's been enough of that. All right. It's going to be, you stop doing that. Like understand the way we conduct ourselves in the world must be different than the way the world conducts themselves. And in fact, they should get to a place where they're saying, like, I just have to slander you because of what you're teaching. Right? Like, we, we have to be equipped for that to happen. And, and what makes it difficult is this is happening because we should be the ones loving others. That's what makes it so weird. Is that it's unjust. It's no, I'm, I'm loving people, but I won't. I will not um, bring myself to live the way the world lives. Okay? And it even goes back to giving thought to, hey, what am I listening to? And what am I watching? All right? I mean, we do. We live in a world where, man, there's like sexuality and immorality like everywhere. All the time in every place. And at some point giving some thought of going, man... Am I living like I'm living in the world or am I living in the kingdom of God? He said um, that there has been, uh, uh, he says, in order to live the remaining time of flesh no longer, for there's already been enough time spent in doing what the pagans choose to do. So we're being called again to, to compare how does the world live and how do we live? As we follow Jesus. Okay. And then we're going to jump into this. In verse 7, he gives us something a little bit more. He says, keep this in mind. The end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. Right. This was written like 2,000 years ago. It's nearer. Like it's nearer now. 2,000 years nearer. Right? And Peter's saying, no, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and disciplined. Do you remember Peter writing that before? 
gird the loins of your mind, right? Like be serious, be ready, be alert. Okay, he's saying it again. Above all, maintain an intense love for each other since love covers a multitude of sins. I skipped a word up there. Now the end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and disciplined for prayer. Be serious and disciplined for prayer. So I wonder if we were to invite Peter to come in and just talk to us today about a section that we're going through. I wonder if we were to sit down and talk to him how he would talk about this right here of going, man, all of these things I'm talking and I'm asking now asking you to be serious and disciplined for prayer. How do I take this today? Well, let me be serious and disciplined for prayer. Let me be praying about these things. Let me be meditating on these verses. Above all, maintain an intense love for each other since love covers over a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others as good managers of the very grace of God. If anyone speaks, it should be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, it should be the, from the strength God provides so that he may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Okay, and so we're reading a letter of a guy who is just absolutely crazy about following Jesus and absolutely crazy about his Father in heaven. And he's just kind of like dumping all of these things. There's so much here. And so here's our job. We, we've got to take this word and let it saturate us. Because there's no way we just read it one time and then go into a world that is insane and live this way. Well, what's the right thing to do? Should I meditate? Should I memorize scripture? Hey, here's what, what I would share. Whatever it takes for this word to saturate our hearts, let's live in that. Man, if you want to make a song about this, if you want to memorize this, if you want to write it down a thousand times, whatever is going to be the thing that we're saturated about to where this isn't just something we're going back to, you know, as kind of like this clunky thing, but it's truly like, you know, we're just, we're just about this, about being serious and alert, this idea of this beautiful, wonderful inheritance that gives us hope even when there's unjust suffering, right? This idea of being able to, to truly be separate from the world, to have the courage to do that, right? To truly live out this kingdom life that we're calling, not because, not that we're being called to, not because this is like something that we think is easy, but simply because we love Jesus. And so that's what me and you are required to do with this. That's why we have the Bible. Is that we that we continue applying ourselves to this over and over and over again. And you all know one time is fine. Two times you're going to get to like three or four or five times. You're going. I don't get that. Keep going. All right. I'm telling you. Like a few years ago, I think Ben read the Book of Ephesians like every day for a month. Right. And I remember him sharing that with me and saying, you know, there was this time when like there was just this shift from reading what this letter is to I get this. 
Like, I understand what's being read here. I get it in how it's expressed in my life. All right? And so that's what we're being called to today. So, um, so again, bring this into your prayer groups. Um, if you're having a week where you feel like, man, I'm just kind of messing this up. I haven't paid attention at all to any of the teachings of Jesus. I haven't paid attention to all of the teachings of Peter. I've kind of just been kind of flighty. I think every one of us, we have weeks that way. Yeah. I have weeks that way. You have weeks that way. We have weeks where we're like, oh my goodness, man, what is wrong with me? I feel lazy and apathetic and all these things. And just like what Ben shared is we learn from those, okay? But at the same time, we get back on the horse, okay? And jump back in there, not to make up for it, but hey, get back on. It's like, you're not making up for anything. But just, just applying ourselves back to this, this, this sort of place. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions, please visit ClemsonFoothills.com. You can also text Foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at CFC.